Hey, this is Gareth Webb, and you are listening to Breakout, a show aimed at cutting through the hiring noise and breaking down best practices. We'll also be tapping into the minds of other industry leaders so you can ensure your business makes the right critical hires the right way. Today, we welcome Tracy Giles, VP of Talent Acquisition at PageDuty, a global public SaaS company deploying real-time operations and incident response products for the likes of Slack, Zoom, and Salesforce. Let's dive in. Well, look, thank you very much for taking some time out of your very, very busy uh, schedule. I know there's a lot going on and approaching year end. Um, for There's plenty of people in the talent community in the technology world that definitely will know you. Um, and there's obviously plenty that may not. Um, can you, you have a slightly, everyone has a strange background, especially going into talent acquisition, I find. But yours is quite unique, I think. Uh, you know, like it was almost potentially like the second chapter of your mm-hmm. career. Um, can you can you give us like a snapshot of like how you landed uh, in the TA space? Yeah, sure. So um, I was in sales and in um, really telecom and um, did sales and operations in a bunch of different roles. And I had um, three kids in four years. And while I was off on maternity leave, um, was just feeling very uneven, um, just not really happy with kind of trying to be a new mom and and also balance the work responsibilities. And a friend of mine said, you know, you should be a recruiter. You can really make a difference in somebody's life and think you'd be good at it. And I was thinking about um, exploring being a life coach because I felt like I like to to help develop people. And he's like, it's kind of like a life coach, but you're just helping people find jobs. And so I am took that time while I was on maternity leave and started learning the ropes. He showed me how to recruit and gave me a couple of clients to work with and um, started my recruiting career. You hadn't done any recruiting at all, like no. apart from maybe for your team. I, like I, I was hiring and um, used recruiters. So I knew what a good recruiter looked like. And I knew the, um, the, the benefit of uh, having a really good recruiter and um i thought why not i'll just go do it and okay my daughter um i since then had another child but she was i kind of think about her birthday as the the milestone of how long i've been in recruiting and she just turned 18 so okay yeah 18 Um, years you're supposed to say I don't look like I've been recruiting free. <laughs> <laughs> you don't actually. Um, no, I, I actually I just forget because obviously we've known each other for uh, nearly four years. Yeah, uh, yeah, like three four years, and I, I just assumed that that's all you've been doing. And then it was only after a while of you know like obviously LinkedIn and sort of looking back, there's like oh yeah, you you you, you haven't been doing it for uh, your entire professional career. Um, so did that friend. Like that friend basically kind of like obviously saw that you could be very good at that and just kind of you hadn't thought about it independently. It was prompted. It was prompted. Yeah. He um, he was my roommate at one point and uh, he married my best friend. And um, so we were, you know, close family friends and and he was in telecom as well. And then he made the jump into recruiting and he owned his own firm. 
And um, he kind of showed me the ropes. In that first year, I did really well. I made, I think, six figures my first year working for him, which was great. You know, I didn't know anything okay. about it. Yeah. Um, but the problem was, is that the sometimes people would pay on time and sometimes they don't. And mm-hmm. um, it made like hills and valleys. And uh, I remember VMware had an ad on um, ad in LinkedIn. I think we were using LinkedIn back then, but they were looking for um, a contract recruiter. I didn't even know what that was. And I thought, right. yeah, if I did that part-time, that would help. It was a part-time job. Like that would help even out my income. And so yep. I applied and they said, yeah, we'll hire you part-time. Um, 20 hours a week, I was a sorcerer. I didn't even really know what I was doing, but I was a tech sorcerer. And yep. um Quickly, 20 hours turned into 40 hours and then turned into a full-time role. But um, for a short period of time, I was getting paid weekly, which is great. I was still doing my other gig. and it's like, Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, so, yeah, yeah. what, let's talk about the bit, like, because you've gone, you went from that pivot moment to then, I would say, a fairly explosive chapter of a company that was relatively unknown, still competing with big boys you know, Microsoft, AWS, but, but really like you are a true hyper growth, hyper scale business, um, which is a, uh, I would say must've been an intense period of time. Um, and was that your first foray into like true in-house, like running talent programs? Yeah. I didn't know. Um, I didn't really know anything. In fact, uh, a good friend of mine, when I was interviewing i was like oh gosh you know i wonder how much they're gonna pay me like i was thinking like 15 20 dollars an hour i had no idea and um <laughs> they, yeah, like, it's gonna be more than that yeah i had no idea but i figured it'd be a little bit of income to help keep things a little bit stable and um jumped right in and it was fast it was crazy and i was doing tech recruiting which I have such great respect for, um, and I can do it, but I feel like at the end of the day, when I'm done speaking to engineers and developers all day long, like it takes, I have to think really hard to connect, you know, with, with folks like that. And, um, after a while, a spot opened up in sales recruiting and they said, do you want to move over and do that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I moved over and, and jumped onto the sales role. Um, and it was doing just a ton of recruiting as, uh, was it sourcing that I was recruiting for that? Right. What was it, 10, 11 years in total? At VMware? I think I was looking at yeah. a profile the other day. I think it was uh, a little, like, almost, almost 12, 11 and a half, something like that. Okay. What would you say were the key things that, like, you now have, like, been equipped with from that 10-year period of being somewhere that was just, you know, growing at an, at an obscene rate? It was growing so fast. Gareth, like when I started, I think I was right around thirteen hundred employees. And VMware used to have this thing; they probably still do, where you could plug in your um, email address, and it would tell you how long you've been here compared to everyone else in the company. When I left, I had been there like more than ninety-eight percent of the employee base. So, like, I was like an old timer. I'd been there for a long time. and there were days where it things would just, I remember I got a phone call once that just said like, hey, Tracy, what do you think it would take 
to hire 150 salespeople in the next like 60, 90 days in like a certain group. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, surely you didn't wake up this morning and just like dream this up. This has been in the works. Like, why didn't you call me about two months ago? But yeah, um, we did a lot of just rapid, rapid hiring. Um, I think a couple of things that, that I think I learned from that was thinking creatively um, yeah. and thinking about just different ways of doing everything. So one-to-one hiring wasn't really going to work if you're going to scale that fast. So how do you, um, you know, do interview days and think about the business and how they engage with you and kind of showing up with like multiple candidates versus one-to-one-to-one-to-one-to-one because that was... Um, mm-hmm not scalable. I yeah. think having um just different approaches on where you're gonna get talent. Um you know one of one of the things that we did um I'm laughing but because I had to mess up once but one of our hiring leaders was just getting frustrated um with kind of the process and he said let's let's do um kind of more practical interviews, like a sales pitch. And he recorded himself. And I can't even believe I'm saying this, but my team, we used to send out discs of his recording to the candidates. So, really? Yeah. Like that's how old I am. <laughs> or CDs. Yeah, CDs. Yeah. For one time, I had a candidate that was came to like the final interview and uh, the leader said like, oh, well, I'm sure you got the disc and got the prompt. And the the candidate was like, no, and I forgot to send it. So like there was a breakdown, but um, yeah, we used to send out. There, there's a big, there's a very, yeah, there's a margin for error there. Yeah, yeah. With that. Yeah. You just get too busy, but um, it really was helpful to kind of streamline our processes. Maybe not sending discs out wasn't like, I think there was new rage back then, but um that was a, a a fun approach and really just, you know, um, my, one of my last years at VMware, um, my team were, we hired a thousand people, which, you know, was a lot, um, for a pretty yeah. decent, it was, it wasn't a huge team. Um, well, that's just for a sales. That's for sales. Just a sales organization. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, were you remote then? Yeah, I was pretty always much always been remote. Yeah, I've always right. I was remote, and um, I remember when I first got the job, and they were paying me weekly through the agency that I was a contractor. Yeah, my parents were like, "Wait, you work from home?" Because a lot of people didn't work from home back then, and you're talking mm-hmm. to people all day. You're getting paid weekly. They're like, "Are you sure this is legal?" Like, no one really thought it was just different back then. Now it's normal, but um, back then yeah. I was remote. I guess I've been remote for the 18 years I've been recruiting. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember doing like 09 to 14 remote um, and had very mixed feelings about it. Like parts of it were great, parts of it. I was probably a bit young and craving um, attention. a bit more. Yeah. I was always um, really worried um, that they would look on an org chart and be like, now who's this person we have in Michigan? Because I lived in Michigan at the time. and Right. So I, I always tried to um, be a high performer so that they could be like, oh, yeah, she's great. She's out on her own. Like, she's not in the office, but she's doing a good job. Yeah, I mean, it's but sales, talent acquisition, sourcing, recruiting, like 
you can be very visible without being visible, right? Like yeah. the, just the creating opportunities and um, making things happen. Um, you mentioned Austin before. Were you in Austin or did you just have a team in Austin? I had a team in Austin. So where were, you, where were your team once you were in a leadership role? Uh, my team was really kind of all over. Um, at VMware, because I'd been in leadership roles in my previous career, it like opportunity just kind of um, came my way to move into to management. And so I moved pretty quickly into like manager, senior manager, director, senior director while I was there. And my team really was, um, when I left, I had a global team. So all over the U.S. Yeah. Austin, I had a big pool there. I had some in D.C., San Francisco, you know, the Bay Area. We had a, we had a really nice office out there. Yeah, very good. I'm cracking up um, your sign, the welcome back, ladies. <laughs> oh my gosh, is that there? That's from when my that's when the Claire Claire and the girls went back to England in June, July, and I I did that. Yeah, I forgot to take it down. <laughs> that's embarrassing. red. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, the lengths you go to, hey, to yeah, to make sure everyone comes home happy. Um. One of the things you mentioned to me before, this is a little bit like of a throwback conversation, but I think we talked about, because I went, you were probably one of the bigger clients that I got with when you were previously at Commvault. Um, and we had talked about hiring for good talent acquisition folks a few times and like, well, how do you index on finding good potential? And it's funny because you and I both had said about hiring folks from service industry as being quite, mm -hmm. sometimes it could be quite a good mm -hmm. proxy for having the ability to listen and, you know, gauge service levels in real time. I don't know exactly what, I mean, that may not be the case now because, you know, the service industry's changed, but <laughs> when did you start hiring for like recruiters or sources or talent acquisition folks? And I think a lot of our clients do struggle with this? Like, what are the things you look for beyond just experience of having done it before, but what are the traits you look for for good talent acquisition, recruiters, sources, search folks? Yeah, I think um, probably the conversation we had went back to some time at VMware where we were expanding our team and we really, you know, the cost of a recruiter in the Bay Area is super expensive. And so we were yeah. looking at to see like, you know, Austin became like a second hub for us back in the day. Toronto was another hub for us. So we're trying to figure out, like, how do we grow our team? And we um, experimented with um, hiring folks that we just thought had really good, strong DNA that had, um, you know, that sort of, like, if you think about a server, I used to be a, a waitress. When you're working in the restaurant, you've got a bunch of customers, and you're trying to get the orders right, and you're just going, going, going. It's high-paced you know, people that can thrive in that sort of environment. And we hired, I don't remember, it was a pretty big group of folks in Toronto and we just trained them up. So we hired people, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going to say right off the street, but people that didn't have really any experience in recruiting or HR, but yep. had that sort of passion, had that sort of high capacity where they could deal with a lot of things that had that customer focus and service oriented peace enjoyed talking to people um not afraid you know the days of using in mails it 
you know, sometimes recruiters, that's all you do is just send an email, but, you know, could people pick up the phone or could people send a text and do something different and think creatively and problem solve? That's what we mm-hmm. look for. So we, um, we were able to hire folks at a lower cost than what we were paying in, in the Bay Area. And we were able to invest in talent. We actually called on the projects, like, I won't say the project, but we called them our investment hires where we were you know, consciously hiring people that didn't have that experience, but um, we're going to get them trained, give them opportunity and kind of grow our own talent. Yeah, I think it's key because um, you can hire, very, you can get experienced folks and they're expensive, but they come with baggage and bad habits. I hate to say it, like mm-hmm. plenty of recruiters out there that, oh, this is how I do things. And yeah. this is what works for me. It's like, well, that's not best practice. Um, and that's kind of like limiting belief, glass ceilings, jade, being jaded, um, being burnt out without even knowing it. I think, yeah, if you get people where they spin lots of plates, like take the server or the person in the services industry, um, those, those folks categorically that the very, very good ones read the room well, right. Mm-hmm. And they can assess like, oh, that person doesn't seem happy. Let me go in and check before it becomes a problem versus. Oh, I'm just going to like sit back and hope for the best. Yeah. So, yeah. I think, yeah, definitely um, like the resilience and the, the kind of quick thinking and the conversational piece and curiosity. Um, I remember you telling me that and I had just moved here. I'd had made one or two hires and I was thinking of how I could get more folks. And yeah. Um, yeah. Funnily enough, yeah. Some of our best performers have, have had a kind of, you know, that's not all they've done, but they've had exposure to those conditions and then they've adapted pretty quickly and, I've stayed in touch with some of those hires that we made and and they all, not all, but the ones that I've stayed in touch with have had really successful careers because I think they were a little bit hungrier, right? They came in maybe making, you know, coming off of a different role or different industry, but they came in at a a rate, but they could see a pathway to, you know, a really nice um, career. And so they did really well. Very good. Yeah, I want to... uh... I guess just to wrap up that piece around the VMware chapter, because like there's obviously we could talk probably for like <laughs> 10 hours about your time there, but um, what, what would you say to any aspiring talent leaders uh, or people building internal programs right now, whether they're a startup or a scale-up or is their first position as like a director or VP of talent? Like what are the things that VMware got right when you were there? I think um, we... Early on, and I can remember um, one of the leaders that I worked under really pushed us to have a seat at the table and to not um, to 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 be an equal part to like an HR business partner or anyone else on the people team. You know, we we were not going to be a TA organization where it was like we weren't in the room and somebody else got the information and shared it with us later. So we always yep. had a really tight partnership with the business, which um, I think paid off. I can remember one time I got asked to fly to a QBR and my boss said, yeah, sure. And then other people in the people team found out that I was at this QBR. It was in um, Tampa. And people were like upset. But it was like, no, we, the the business leader wanted me there because we had a really close partnership and he wanted me to understand his business. So I think that was something early on that 
Well, people were upset that you got flown out to QBR because yeah, you're a because TA I, team. Yeah, I was a recruiter and not not an HR business partner. Yeah. I mean, that, those lines have definitely blurred now, haven't they? Yeah. I think like yeah. those obstacles, have, they still exist, I'm sure, uh, in a kind of hierarchy of yeah. functions, but um, it's definitely flattened. It's, it definitely uh, has flattened. Back in the day, though, when I was there, it was... It was felt probably legacy before I joined. Like there was a, a hierarchy in, in recruiting. It's like, hey, we'll go to the meeting and then we'll update you after the meeting. And the fact that I right. called to the meeting was, was um, and they were not invited to the meeting. So little, <laughs> that's more the problem. Yeah, yeah. it was a little different. Um, it was a fun meeting, but anyway, um, so I think having a, a tight partnership with with the business i also think um engaging with the language of the business to be become part of them i think is super important right so understanding mm -hmm. their goals their achievements you know what what their kpis are and how recruiting will will fit into that so when you have an opening and trying to figure out that that good match for somebody you can bring that to the table i had um I remember once one of the leaders that was, um, he, his team was growing. He was in one part of the business and then he got moved over into another. And he had to hire a bunch of people really fast. And I was like his right-hand man or his right-hand person. And there was someone that I had interviewed and I said, yeah, I think he's good. And he said, oh, I don't know. And I said, no, no, I think he's really good. And I think you need to look at him. And he's like, you think he's good? I said, yeah. He said, okay, make him an offer, like move forward. And he totally just went on my, my, my recommendation because we were just going. And yeah. um, that person made a million dollars in his first year at, <laughs> at VMware. Yeah. I just, I always think like, and I'm, you know, still stay connected with him, but I'm like, you, you don't know how close you were tonight. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is, yeah, but that it's, is uh, uh, yeah. life. Yeah, in the talent acquisition space, right? And it's like the yeses or nos can be sometimes that it can be someone speaking up for somebody at a certain yeah. moment, like a second later, and the decision's made. And so, do you think the like? I think that's cool. I think that's like. I wonder if that would happen now, like where people would be like, "Yeah, you know, like I really do." Like people want to make more data driven decisions versus I, like a hunch or a gut based on a. Yeah, that that we were moving quickly. Like he had, I don't even know, thirty five heads to get done, like in a very short period of time, and there wasn't time for like ten interviews. I think today we do yeah. like ten interviews, uh, right. even though we don't want to do ten interviews. And you know that because you worked with us. Right? <laughs> a lot yeah. of companies do that, but um, yeah, that we were moving quickly, and it, and in that moment, I was kind of like, oh God, I hope he's as good as I think he is. But I just, I really, wow. I had done a really good, strong interview, and it was the relationship I had with that leader that just trusted yeah. me, and he trusted me because I went to his QBRs and I understood his business, and I could speak the language, and I understood what his goals were, and I could, I, I was the talent scout going out and finding that right talent for him. Um, yeah, no, today I don't, I don't, I don't think in my experience at my past two companies and maybe even since then, I don't, I don't think people make quick decisions like that. That was really kind of like, we got to go. Yeah. Rather have, a I mean, different, yeah, different time, different, 
times and measures and yeah, ways of, you know, best practices. Um, okay. So like you said, like having a, um, like seat at the table with the business leaders, um, you know, and just kind of pushing for that was one of the things you did well at VMware understanding and speaking the language of the business. So not so much like a recruiting language, but like the objectives of say the sales leaders, and what they're trying to do there. Um, anything else that you feel like was kind of like is now in your DNA from that, yeah. that 10 years? Yeah, I, I'll tell you, um, I was introduced to the talent advisor model um, at, at VMware and I've carried that with me to, to Convald and now at PagerDuty and it's how we operate. Um, CEB was the, the the inventor of the talent advisor model. They're now bought by Gartner. Um, mm -hmm. But I just remember that one of the very first times we were trying to rename. God, Gareth, we spent like eight months trying to rename what a recruiter was going to be called. We we're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then someone had read, hey, I stumbled across this talent advisor and, and read the definition. And right there, it was like, yeah, that's. That's what we have to 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 um, really be our north star. So um, the talent advisor model has changed since then, um, but I've adopted that and have brought that to every company that I've worked at since. I just don't know how to articulate the the value of a recruiter and what we do without having that model there. Yeah, I guess you know, like instead of HR manager, is HR business partner. Mm -hmm. and so it's like, what is the function? The function should determine yeah. the title, not the title. Yeah. Not the other way around. Yeah. Very good. Um, and so what, what would you say like that, that truly means just literally is that like it's partnering up with the business it's, super closely. Yeah. It's not being in the opposite of an order taker. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I just did a training. Um, we brought the whole team together, uh, I guess it was a month ago. It was the beginning of October. And um, I talked about, I re-rolled out the talent advisor model and just said it's a continuum, right? Like some, like there's an order taker and there's an advisor. And some calls you might show up a little bit more towards the order taker and some calls you might show up as an advisor. And I, I joked that I was on the, a call once with um, our CEO and I was like, yeah, I was definitely being an order taker going, yeah, yeah, I'll get that, I'll get that. Instead yeah. of maybe using the knowledge and the experience that I have to help guide where things need to go. And sometimes you, that means pushing back a little bit and saying, no, like, yeah, if you want to, you want all these things and you want it in 30 days and you want to have it at this cost, like, yeah, like that, that's going to be really hard to come back and, and talk, you know, and get that done. So it's using that um, sort of knowledge that we have in the business and sometimes pushing back. But I see it as a continuum and I don't think anyone is always, you know, at the same spot on the continuum. I think it changes all day long. And I think you have to, yeah, you, you have to like always you have to pick your battles. Yeah. You have to um, evaluate yourself after a call to say like, how did I do? Was I really being an advisor? Was I kind of taking that, oh, I'd say the easy way out and be more of an order taker? Well, I think, yeah, we, I mean, I've, talking to multiple founders, CEOs, and execs every day with our clients, right? So, um, and some are just so staggeringly more open to advice uh, and some are, some want you to be an order taker and they want to like give you the order 
Um, and others are like, um, hey, look, tell me this is what I'm trying to do. Tell me what you think. And that comes down to like leveling, titling, comp, remote versus non-remote, right. you know, uh, stack ranking, preferences around what they want to hire. Yeah, some are in incredibly, uh, they want to be advised and some want to be just like um, heard and had the order taken and presented with what they want, even if it's like actually makes sense or not. And to your point, yeah, I evaluate calls and I sometimes I'll come off and I'll be and I'll be like irritated because I'm like I didn't push back enough um, yeah. or there's no way that there's no way but you know we want to get the client or we want to like see that maybe they could be right and then deep down like you know so we we are building a framework of what is realistic what the continuum should look like and if, if a client is kind of going into order taking mode and they're being uh, particularly idealistic or unreasonable of which some are and then we can do it now because we're a bit bigger, but, you know, walking away, uh, which obviously you can't do. No, I can't like do that. that. You can't do that. <laughs> I think, um, I think it, it comes down to trust though, right? Like in the very beginning, some, some leaders might be like, no, it's my way or the highway. But after time, you build the trust and with that trust yeah. comes the ability to, to push back. So it's an earned, it's an earned, um, it's an earned uh, title to be an advisor um, to the business. It's not something, you know, sometimes you might have a brand new hiring manager and they just don't know. And they're like, hey, you tell me. But a lot of times if people are experienced, you got to build up that trust. And I yeah, find and we, sometimes trust comes with sharing the data and giving them insight is to look into how the sausage is being made and all the work that you're doing to get to the decision of, or the feedback of like, no, this, this candidate's a great candidate because I've talked to 400. You've only seen two, but I've talked to 400 and this is, this is, this is yeah. going on. The, the bit I was literally just about to say, so you beat me is the data, right? And that, mm -hmm. whenever we talk to like very sophisticated talent leaders, it always comes back to that. It's sort of like, yeah, look, I can sit in the room and tell them what they do or don't want to hear. But ultimately, like availability of skill set or uh, depth of talent pool is finite. Um, and it becomes smaller with sort of more niche or critical or senior hires. Right. So then, yeah, how you approach things has to be more nuanced. Um, yeah, it's a good it's a good segue. So you and I were talking not too long ago about one of the programs that you're instituting or looking to build. I don't know how far you are with it based on something that came out. Um, so Corn Ferry had this article about the you know, future of work and the shortage of talent and the skills gap and the cost of that. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we've got it here, but the article was saying something along the lines of by 2030, which isn't actually that far away. It's not that far uh, away. <laughs> it's not that far away. Um, they're, they're saying more than 85 million jobs could be unfilled based on the skills gap and the lack of people to take them and the cost of that to the economy uh, using their math, which I'm sure is like fairly accurate. I mean, these are the largest search firm in the world, yeah. uh, talent consulting firm, uh, $8.5 trillion cost to the economy. What, what does this mean to you as the owner of the talent strategy for a public entity? I think... Um... We're in the midst right now of shifting the way we think um, 
on hiring for experience versus hiring for potential. So going back to that experience that I mentioned around hiring, you know, recruiters that we're investing in, how do we how do we take that in and apply that to, you know, not just recruiting, but sales or engineers or finance or marketing or whatever? Like, how do we build on emerging talent um, to because we, we haven't really done that because we've been really fast growing and with high demands, a hiring manager wants to come and they want to hire someone who can do the job today, not who could do the job in six, nine, 12 months. But we need mm-hmm. to invest today so that we've got the people who can do that. And I think, um, I don't know, I'd love to see what LinkedIn says or any other data that's out there around average tenure. But I feel like the the amount of time, and I, I have our own average tenure um, at my company, but I feel like you know, my parents, when they were older, they stuck at companies for 20, 30 years. And they like were nervous that I was leaving a company in 10 years. And then I think now, you know, we're kind of like, oh, you got to have good three, four year run. Well, with what's happened in the past couple of years, there's people we won two years at a company and they're making changes. Right. And that's become a little bit more acceptable, I think, in the recruiters' yeah. eyes and hiring managers' eyes. So I think about if at pager duty, we can extend the amount of tenure that someone stays at our company and they they can extend the tenure by coming in a little bit lower and continue to grow their career, that'll that'll help us overall from a financial perspective because we're going to have less turnover and turnover just means more costs with the talent walking out the door and, you know, just having to go through the whole hiring process and ramping someone in that sort of thing. So we are taking a little bit more, I want to say a little bit more, we're taking a intentional approach around emerging talent and hiring for potential versus hiring someone. And I call it the bullseye, someone who's got all the, you know, the 15 things that people are looking for. No, let's look, let's hire someone who can grow into that and hopefully stay a little bit longer. So, um, do you have, do you currently have like, um, I should know this, but like, we don't do any junior stuff with you guys. Yeah. Do you have a like graduate type program or is it more MBA? It's a little bit of both. And we've done a lot on our interns, right. And in, with our engineer team, engineering and product team, um, we don't really do interns in all of our departments company wide. So that's something we're looking to change next year. So interns, um, leadership development programs. I just recently worked on a three-year roadmap that includes, you know, not our first year, but in when we get a little bit more mature, hiring people that are new to technology, right? Maybe it's people coming out of the military. Maybe it's um, moms coming back from being off on leave and reentering the workforce and the workforce has changed. Um, maybe it's hiring people without degrees. If you read that article um, and many articles about that, just talk about upskilling and training people without, you know, um, without having to have a four-year master's degree in a certain certain area. So we're going to explore kind of all those things, but starting really um, with like talent feeder programs and expanding our internships company-wide because it's something we haven't really done previously it's been kind of in just little pockets 
Yeah. Um, yeah, there's some interesting ones there, like parents returning, like mums or parents returning to work after longer breaks, more than likely going to be mums, um, you know, over the last five, 10 years or mm -hmm. last three to five years, especially COVID where people just were like, hey, look, like I'm going to be the stay-at-home parent. Yeah, we can't. I don't know how like two full-time work-from-home parents would have looked after like two, three kids mm -mm. or one. Um, <laughs> then um, I would say... Yeah, the military thing is interesting. Some of the companies have been do doing that forever, right? But it, it tends to be like the defense contractors or yeah. uh, bigger tech, like Google's got a program, I'm sure, and then yeah. various others. Um, where do you where do you philosophically stand on? We spoke to a head of talent a month or two ago in Europe, and he was like, "Look, we we're a technology business. We hire salespeople, but we don't just want people who have done the whole." must have five-year SaaS sales. He said, we just want the best salespeople. If they've sold different products or been in different industries, we'll hire them, train them. Um, and I know you guys will look at folks who have sold different types of products and different types of technology for more junior hires. Right. There's obviously no way you'd bring someone in as a director or above. Um, but where do you philosophically stand on hiring people out of pure play SaaS or technology, but maybe have done the job in a different, like the functional work and they have the traits to be good and they're coachable. Like, where do you or page you and or page duty stand on that? Yeah, I think that's kind of our where we've been and maybe where we need to go are two different two different things. Right. Yeah. You know, you've worked up. you've worked with us where we and there's a reason we were it's a technical sale. And so we know yes. there's like data. At the end of the day, we want our, our people to be successful. And there's data that shows if you understand our technology and you, you've been kind of in an adjacent area, you're going to be more successful quicker than, than yep. someone from the outside. I think in order to um, be flexible in kind of the, the, the bullseye or the sweet spot that we target, we need to have the right enablement to get people ramped up to say, okay, listen, this is an inexperienced hire, someone who doesn't have the core skill sets, how are we going to surround them with what they need to do a rapid ramp. And I just, I don't think we're quite there yet um, in the field. But as we think about this, this shortage that's coming, I mean, it's hard to recruit right now. You know that, I know that it's super, super hard. And I think it's just going to get harder from the stuff I've read. It's, I don't think yeah. it can get any easier. So, so that's going to require, um, just some flexibility in your approach. And there's, our, you know, Jill on my team, she talks about yeah. widening the aperture to, you know, to that kind of zoom out a little bit to say, okay, how can we do this? Yeah. But I think that that's going to take a little bit of time before we get there and adopt that completely as a company, only because it's what, you know, we know um, it's the, the, the time to success is quicker when you've got that sort of experience under your belt. I think the widening the aperture thing is very interesting. Um, you know, you don't have to necessarily, um, you don't have to dilute quality of hire. It's just that quality is in a different bracket. Obviously, right. say someone sold machinery or uh, manufacturing technology, but they're technical people and they could learn it. But it, the, the problem with it is there's two things. One is you need infrastructure, time and resource, which costs money, which this year people don't want to do. Like, so the whole you know, inclusive hiring programs that were really getting spoken about um, have been paused because all hiring has been paused. And then people are like, well, we're not going to hire more risky hires if we're going to be honest about what that really means yeah. is 
it's not the risk to, in terms of hiring the individual, it's the investment in the program, mm -hmm. onboarding, coaching, um, you know, like you said, enabling success for all hires, yeah. there's no point doing it otherwise. And then I think the big one for uh, that we see, and this is where, it, you know, people who don't understand hiring just are like, well, there's been loads of layoffs this year and the market's bad, so recruiting must be really easy. Um, there's lots of reasons why that's not the case. Obviously, you've got like really good candidates just staying put, so there's like less movement and there's more jittery decision-making. Um, and then companies as well, just like really what we just talked about actually like overthinking each hire potentially because they're nervous uh, right. so it doesn't get any easier at all to hire just because the markets there's like a saturation of talent but it unfortunately doesn't mean that hiring is made easier i think the bar gets set or uh, gets is is higher i was just talking to a colleague of mine at work and this person is going to get one headcount next year one so right. so so there's a lot of like focus, say, I want to get that one right, right? Like if you're hiring 10 or 20, you might know there you might have a miss on one or two, but the one that you're going to add to your team, that bar of, of finding that tight bullseye just increases exponentially because you're just going to get the one, right? So mm -hmm. I think that that makes it harder for us too, um, to go find the yeah. right person for that. Just like on the, so on the like emerging talent program, it's something you're looking at, you built a three-year program, but like, you know, what, if you had your way and the budget wasn't constrained, like what would you institute first? I think having a really robust sales program with a really great theater program, um, I'd like to hire, have that be here in Atlanta. There's so many great schools here um, with some, you know, when you, when you get into um, starting at really, you know, entry level jobs, you can have open up the lens too for diversity and yeah. finding, you know, it's a great way to bring underrepresented folks and, and females into the business. And so I think, I think that is going to be part of our plan, whether it's at the grand scale that I'd like to have it be or, you know, starting incrementally and building it. But I think, you know, VMware had a really, some really great programmatic pieces for women in yeah. talent. And, you know, I think I learned a lot. Um, I wasn't, I didn't own those groups, but I supported them and knew of them. And they're in our, you know, in the overall recruiting team. And I think there's some great best practices there to look at. So, that's kind of in like a big scale. We're much smaller today. So like, how do we do something incrementally that looks, you know, similar to that, but it's done at a smaller scale where we can afford it and actually execute on the plan. Yeah. So like a, so for sales specifically, like a center of excellence for like onboarding emerging talent, like running a program yeah. that onboards yeah. tens, if not more folks. Yeah. I think that, that's going to be a great short, medium, and long-term mm -hmm. um, result driver for business. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, because I think this has been very interesting this year because of the shift and the pullback in spend, is like PagerDuty has some really good perks, you know, lots of PTO, lots of like kind of like 
hibernation duty or like yeah like <laughs> no, but, but then you have like a shorter you've you offered a slot i think you have like a different vesting schedule than mm -hmm. any other kinds of like rsu yeah. program um and this is not a this is a question that a lot of clients are talking about now with like cash and com and stock and stuff is like yeah where, how do you draw the line between being like really attractive place to work and retaining the best people that you want to retain versus like maybe being sometimes i think a lot of working environments in the last year or two have got a bit carried away potentially a little bit too generous and then like some of them have suffered right they've had to make big layoffs and they've spent too much money yeah. and productivity gains haven't been there but how, how do you guys measure that like trade-off so I think um, a couple of things. When I first joined Pager Duty, our our stock program was um, different, and it was had the one year vesting and all the other stuff. Um, yeah, close partnership with our compensation team, and they they saw what was going on in the market. They listened to us, and we got creative, and we we have our stock program that has immediate vesting. So there's no like one year wait. Um, it just starts right away, which is mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Because we've had that, we didn't have to go because we competed a year ago or even six months ago. We were competing with these startups that were just like throwing money away. Oh, you know, I don't say away, but throwing money at the candidates um, yeah. that we were trying to compete for. So I really think um, the flexibility and the thoughtfulness that our comp team put in creating a program that was sustainable for us helped, gives us gave us more leverage back then, but also gives us more leverage now um, so that we haven't, did we lose candidates? Yeah, I've got reports that'll tell you how many candidates we lost. I mean, we lost people going to crazy startups that were offering big, 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 big money. Um, and now those companies don't have that money to give anymore. So I, I think, I feel like, um, when it comes down to it, we're, we're, we're winning more than often than not because of the way our stock is and the way our programs are. It's like real money. It's not something that hoping an IPO is going to happen anytime in the future. But I think back yeah. when, when things were crazy and, and, you know, it's still very super competitive, but it, it's changed. Um, we didn't have the ability to do what some other companies did, but we did have other, other um, levers that we could pull. like talking about our unlimited or excuse me our no vesting um period in our stock yeah mm -hmm. well i think like you know yeah if that's a sh if it's a shorter vest and it happens immediately people should get for want of a better word like hooked in on it and see the value of it and then it's a stickiness factor yeah. of um you know having that money uh and reward it's immediate uh, and incentive yeah. So once um, in October, they'll vest in, in January. Right. Yeah, it's very, it's very powerful. Um, and was that, I guessing they did a bunch of analysis and were like, yeah, this is worth us doing. Yeah. Um, we, we really worked with the, the comp team. They were fantastic partners because we were just saying like, it's getting really hard. <laughs> we need some things. And not only just in that was one lever that was pulled, but some other things we got rid of different zones, made it easier so we could compete. Like just when you think about, you know, the, the ranges in different markets and that sort of thing. Um, Austin was one that, that one, um, that was a really big one for us to, to make some changes on that so we can compete in other markets. 
what it got moved up into a higher income mm-hmm. and bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it should do. It's yeah, not expensive now, but it, it wasn't four <laughs> years ago when I yeah. moved here. Yeah. Um, and, and then, yeah, I guess just like, how do you guys, I mean, I know it's probably more for like an, a hiring manager thing, but once somebody's in and, you know, this is something, like I said, like comp, PTO, other benefits, like, it's out like some companies go full on overboard some some are obviously too too harsh and too tight like how do you how do you get that right in terms of like total culture cultural alignment with the rewards and with the perks like how do you guys assess whether you're getting it right to obviously keep driving performance versus um what everyone looks at the technology industry for quite badly sometimes is like perks for perks sake and yeah. things like that. I don't um, think we have the perks for perks sake. I think I think a couple different things. One, I just did a, a video the other day talking about our focus on ID&E, purpose, belonging, social impact, things that Olivia and our um, is running on our ESG team. Mm-hmm. I think candidates today they want the perks, right? I mean, who wouldn't want all the fun things that some of the the companies offer? Um, the great snacks, the the ping pong tables, the all the stuff, the massage rooms, and all the things that you get. I mean, at VMware, we had like Nick Jonas came in one time and Ariana Grande. Like, come on, it was crazy, right? It was a lot of yeah. Who who would want to say no to those things? Yeah, But I think companies want to belong or candidates want to belong to companies where there's good um, alignment to their values and to their purpose. And I, you Is know, this- talk about pager duty. That's part of part of why we win candidates and win talent is because of that. So when you're grounded in purpose, when you're grounded in values that are not just words on a wall, that and, and people can see that when they interview um, and that commitment to diversity um and inclusion and belonging that is that is there so you take that with um you know maybe a a different in our stock package you know with immediate vesting partner that with our wellness days in our um hibernation duty and all that kind of stuff then i think we're grounded in in something more than just a perk and i think that's that's helped us kind of not do too much because you can't afford to do too much all the time, but you do the, you do the things you do enough things of the things that matter that, that make the difference and why people stay. Yeah. Um, I agree entirely. I think one of the things, so I you know, we can talk about this, but like, you know, you're not Google or Microsoft and, but there's other ways to compete. And it's like you said, it's mission is how you treat people. Do they feel like they're going to be, proud of where they work mm-hmm. and the, um they you know everyone's got a different definition of what work should do for them or what they should do for work um right you know t- giving people time giving people time is seems to be the most paramount perk at the moment like as in the flexibility and the choice and um the flexibility you know, i love it and that's quite hard to do especially now um what advice do you have for any talent leaders you probably sort of just said it, but like explicitly for say earlier stage businesses, even the new, I know like PageDuty feels like a startup compared to VMware, I'm sure. And many other bigger tech, but say, say there's like a series A or B startup. I mean, we do a lot of work with those kinds of businesses, Like, what, what would your advice be to them in terms of like, 
they don't have cash necessarily, or they're being more careful with their cash right now. Right. Well, what are the things you think they should do that's like realistic within their time and, and attention and resource budget to to make sure they can be more competitive with talent acquisition? Is there anything you can think of? Um, when I think about the rewards, I will just say that once we started our, our wellness days, which we do have monthly, um, taking coordinated time off as a company, I think is really valuable. And I don't know if mm-hmm. everyone fully gets that when they look at their, you know, how many vacation days they get in a year and all the kind of stuff. But when you can take time off and know that everyone else is taking time off and you're not coming back to, you know, a big list of emails and action items and all those sorts of things to catch up on, I think really helps um, rejuvenate everyone. Everyone gets a rest. And so um, I love that we do the coordinated time. So thinking about- So you do one day a month? One day a month. One day a month. And then we do hibernation duty in December. And we do, oh, we just started this year a wellness break, um, mid-year wellness break in July. So it's a week-long break in July. Either side of July 4th, is that? Yeah, this this year it was on the 4th of July week. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we've got one other client that does that, actually. They do their, like, end of June, like, halfway through the year, July 4th week. They just do a company shutdown. Yeah. Um, I think it's actually really good. I, I um, So even if, like, if I were at a startup and I couldn't afford um a big perk or something like that a coordinated day off once a quarter you know two days off on extending a long weekend or something like that i think is um i think people are just really feel recharged when they come back to work so i don't know that would be one there's no guilt is there there's no guilt that you're away and you might be missing out on something and it means that critical meetings can be set around that when mm-hmm. you know everybody can probably can like de-slack de-email yeah like um do you, is that the policy as well is it like live, yeah, we're people off are off? off people are off right and, and i've okay. i've started a little habit of like if we have a wellness day on a monday i'll take the friday off too to just have like a little bit longer um but you know pretty much everyone is um looking forward to hibernation duty which is coming up in december yeah, I don't know if I officially started a countdown for that, but um, people get excited about these 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 longer breaks because you can just really disconnect and not feel. And there's a skeleton crew that's always on call, right? That if there's something right. that happens, yeah, sort of thing. But um, yeah, I I don't know. I think that's a good answer for companies if they're trying to think about what perks. How do I how do I keep my team healthy? Um, so that they can get yeah. back recharged and, and get some things done. Uh, yeah, it doesn't cost anything, does it? Like if you coordinate it in the right way and work around it, then it's cost you some time. But like if you get that back because everyone's more dialed in and yeah. appreciative and, you know, there's a lot of other companies that will never do that. So it gives you a competitive edge yeah. in retention. Yeah. And um, yeah, very interesting. Um, what... um. What makes talent acquisition harder than it needs to be? These are like quick fire, a few questions to wrap up. I think um, recruiting does. I think what we just went through, yeah, what we just yeah. went through with all of us trying to out, we were all in such a frenzy to find the talent that 
I pay 100, you pay 105, someone else pays 110, then I'm like, shit, I'm going to pick, excuse me, I'm going to pay 120. And then we all start outbidding each other. I'm kind of glad that stopped because I don't know where that was going to go. We were, it was getting too crazy. And I kind of blame us for doing it to each other. I'm just, yeah, fighting. It was a bit absurd, wasn't it? Like like a year ago, and even into Q1, it was, um, maybe like maybe our scale should like write this treaty and everyone has to <laughs> or the, the industry should abide by a treaty of you know sanity prevailing and not getting too caught up i mean obviously there's like the markets that's just the market right it's like yeah. vc yeah then it you comes into the ceo and the founders and then that trickles down everything's trickle down effect and bums on seats mentality i really hope that never happens again because it's, it's brutal seeing the layoffs and then you know not people not getting into work because you know they joined somewhere they have a short stint or something like that it wasn't necessarily fully in within their control so you think the recruiting industry or well, the recruiting function itself has made it harder than it should i think be we perpetuated getting- things we have we were all we were all trying to find the talent and if someone had a one-year short stay, you'd say, okay, great. Someone only had 18 months at a company. Okay, great. We we're willing to overlook some of those things. And maybe maybe those things are okay, but our standards changed. And we also started just trying to outbid one another at like an auction for talent. And yeah, it just, it increased and it artificially inflated the price. Yeah, I agree. So like, would that be, um, you know, is there any um it's tough to stamp it's tough to push back to that though isn't it if markets start to recover again and stock yeah. prices go up and then the money's there it's kind of difficult for yeah. time, at the end of the day back. i i'm responsible for making sure our company has is fully staffed so i'm going to do whatever i need to do to you know win that talent but i don't know i think yeah, it comes all, sometimes yeah um, who would you say in your network or who you know of um, do you think would be useful for us to speak to on this podcast? Um, you know, whether they'd be willing or not, like we will ask. Mm. You could um, call the guy who was my old roommate that got me into recruiting. That would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. His name is Tim, Tim Wesson. He's at okay. Acubia. Is in IQVIA. Uh-huh. Oh, I know that company. Yeah, they were a, a client for a short period in my last company at Hired. Um, yeah. Um, they're huge, like medical yeah. pharmacies called. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. After, okay. after, yeah, that after, I be... went, after I went to um, VMware, he went to Salesforce, was at Salesforce for quite some time, went to AWS, and then went to IQVIA. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Interesting stories. That'd be full, fully connecting the dots. Yeah. Um, Good. Well, look, we're at time. That was fascinating. Thanks, and Nice to hear things I've not heard because we've spoken a lot over I the last know. three, four years. Thank you very much, Tracy. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. Cheers. Bye. Bye.